right. Well, let's uh, bow to pray real quick. Uh, Father God, we ask that you would speak now to us. Um, Lord, we ask that your word would show us the way to go. Lord, and we'd be able to go that way in boldness, Lord, in assurance that your word is good and your word is true. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit would enlighten us with application. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Flint asked me an interesting question. We've been hunting a little bit here lately. We've taken our bow and arrow out to, to get some deer and, and uh, some squirrels and... Uh, Flint's always super excited for the hunt. He wants to come every time we go out. And his mind is constantly thinking about hunting. Well, somewhere, at some point, Flint heard about poaching. And uh, he didn't understand fully what poaching was because he asked me this question. He says, hey dad, what can we poach? I mean, just like it's a form of hunting. And, uh, I said, son, the only thing that we are going to ever poach is an egg. <laughs> and then I explained to him that poaching is, is bad. Poaching is, is illegal. It's, it's unethical. We, we shouldn't do it and we won't do it. We um, won't take any part of it. And uh, Flint wasn't hearing all of my explanation of not uh, not doing it and why we shouldn't. He was just fixated on the egg. Just hung up on poaching the egg. So I realized that and, and stopped talking about uh, everything that I was. And uh, he immediately says, Dad, how do we poach an egg? How do we do it? I told him, I, actually, I don't know. I've never poached an egg. I, I don't even know if I've ever ate a poached egg. But we'll figure it out in the morning. And we'll poach ourselves some eggs and eat them. The next day, um, did a little bit of research and figured out uh, how to poach an egg. And figured out that all you need uh, is a pot and some water and some salt. And maybe you have a different way of doing it. But the, the resource that I read says that you just steer the water boiling softly and then put the egg in and then scoop it out after it's solid on the outside. And this is how you poach an egg. And so uh, after learning how to do it, I, uh, I got Flint, and we had everything that we needed right there in the kitchen. And I set the pot up there and, and put the water in it and realized that I needed to do some things outside and that this is probably something that Flint could take care of himself. So here you go, Flint. Uh, just like we, we found out, you put the egg in the water after it's boiling, you stir it, and by the way, we need some toast, so I need you to put some toast in the toaster over there um, while this egg is cooking, but don't stay over there and watch the toast because you've got to come back here and make sure that the egg doesn't burn, and don't put the uh, plastic spoon that you scoop it out with on the stove on the hot part because it will catch on fire and the house will burn down. <laughs> and as I'm telling him this, uh, I see his eyes, and they start to wander over to his bow and arrow. <laughs> and I say, hey, hey Flint, Flint, uh, focus. He shakes his head, okay, okay. Uh, and then so I start over, and I start telling him, make sure that you don't put the, the spatula on the... And he 
he starts to wander to his Lego box. He can't pay attention to me um, on these important things and find that exciting. Flint needs a helper. I wish one of the girls was here to help Flint cook the, the breakfast so that I could go outside and do the things that I needed to do so that Flint doesn't burn down the house. <laughs> With all due respect, uh, Flint maybe is not quite old enough to have a lot of responsibility yet anyway. We had everything we needed in the kitchen to do that. Now go to, go to Genesis chapter 2. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible, that's where we'll be at today. A man at this point in Genesis chapter 2 is in, uh, in the garden. God has placed him in the garden of Edom and Eden, and everything that Adam needs is right there in the garden. The verses say that there is trees with delicious fruit. There's a river when he needs water. It's all there to provide what Adam needs. And in, in verse 15 of chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. <coughs> to tend and watch over it. Adam now has a job. First in the garden, uh, I don't know how long he was there, uh, but he could look at the neat stuff, and then God gave him a job to tend it, to take care of it, to watch over it. Verse uh, 16 and 17 tells us what happened next. But the Lord God warned him... <coughs> You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, dot, dot, dot. And I don't know what happened there. I wasn't there. We weren't there. The scripture doesn't specifically say, but we get the idea that at this point, Adam's eyes may have begun to wonder. Because God was telling him, if you eat its fruit, then you will. And Adam is, look at that river. There's Maybe there's fish in there. And shakes his head. Okay, what did you say, God? Maybe God continued to say, if you eat its fruit, you will surely. And Adam notices a huge fruit, delicious, over in this other tree. Distracted. And again, I don't know if that took place. But check out the next verse. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. As if Adam wasn't going to be able to do all this by himself without burning the garden down. He has a job here. And God says, I better not leave it all up to Adam. I better not. <clears throat> I wonder what God was, was thinking. What, what do I do? What must I do to help Adam, to help him with his attention span, to help him with the things that he will struggle with in the future? What must I do? Verses 19 through 20. 
So the Lord God formed the ground, all the wild animals, and the birds, and the, uh, the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. God made all these things for Adam, but still, still there was no helper just right for Adam. Out of all the animals. Now, we like ourselves some animals. Uh, we have a nice dog, maybe you guys do, and that's uh, notably man's best friend. The dog always understands us when our wives don't. Uh, the dog always knows what we need or how to, how to uh, entertain us. Maybe not, but our small manly brains think that, right? So here we have God making all the animals, but still there was no helper just right for Adam. Still none just right. <laughs> and this is the point to where we see God perform surgery. The first surgery in the Bible, God performs an operation. God here is the surgeon. He is the anesthesiologist. He is the nurse. He is the person that prepares all the tools. He is the, the thing that does everything. There's no one else here to help him except for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And God performs an operation. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. While the man slept, God put him, put him under so that he could do this. Took out a rib. Now, this was a very special thing that was created from this operation very special outcome to this surgery. Uh, verse 22 and 23 say that then the Lord God made the woman from the rib and he brought her to the man and the man exclaimed, at last! Here it is. You know, I think, I think about uh, another kid's movie. I, I enjoyed using those here lately as as illustrations because the kids understand them. Um, have you, any of y'all seen Megamind? So this is this uh, blue-headed alien, and he's a bad guy at first, but uh, at the end of the, the story, he turns into a good guy. But at the end battle, where he's battling the other bad guy and becomes the good guy, he tells the, the new bad guy, who's actually the bad guy, are you lost yet? So the new bad guy... <clears throat> That, uh, that it's all about presentation. The new bad guy is so much more powerful than, than Megamind, but Megamind still has this one thing. And he says it's all about presentation. Now I want you to think about uh, how God presented Eve to Adam. 
Adam says, at last. The man exclaimed, at last. He is so excited when God brought him Eve. Now he has a helper to take care of the garden, of which he probably doesn't know anything about how to take care of the garden, and the woman can organize these things for him and, and encourage him in doing it and make sure that he doesn't uh, destroy anything. And now he has this helper, and what does he do? Well, uh, he's been in the habit of naming things, right? God gave him all the animals, and the scripture right before that said that he got to name all the animals. So the first thing he does... The only way he knows how to love somebody is he names the woman. Is ah, bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. He names her after himself. It's an interesting thing. He seems to accept her as a gift. And he loves her and he accepts her names her. He's excited to share his love, to enjoy his fellowship, to share in receiving the blessing freely to give him that, or that was given him by God, to share uh, joy and comfort, and to help him make sure that he doesn't burn down the garden. You know, or lie. The garden wasn't the only thing at stake here. Uh, the future, your future, and my future is at stake based upon what Adam and Eve, the choices they make and what they do. We know the rest of the story. Adam does, in a sense, start something on fire. He burns something. He... Uh, allows a decision to be made or helps make that decision that brings sin into our life. Now listen, folks. If you were left to do life on your own, all by yourself, without the help of God or of anyone else or of the Holy Spirit or salvation through Jesus, then, well... Without God's word to speak to you, without the Holy Spirit to guide you, without the Savior to save you, then you as well would burn up your life here on earth. Burn it up. And you would be doomed to burn forever in hell. This is, this is Jesus. Just like Adam, you know, God seen that Adam could do it, couldn't do it on his own. He saw that all mankind couldn't handle sin on our own. So he gave us his son as a savior. And he gave us the Holy Spirit as a helper. Well, how was that done? You know, Adam is what they call a type of Jesus. He is a type as in, as in uh, first came Adam and 
he kind of uh, set the stage for things that would be to come. And in comes uh, Jesus. God gave his only son. Jesus was God. And folks could understand a little bit about how, uh, how God was working through Jesus because of the picture that he gave them through Adam. Well, God put Adam in charge of the garden. And he puts Jesus in charge of all things. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 tells us that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Jesus has authority over all things. Just like God gave Adam charge of the animals and of what is in the garden. And then uh, we see that God put Adam to sleep. He put him to sleep so that he could do the surgery on Adam to bring about woman. And just as that happened, God allowed his son to die on the Allowed Jesus to die. Now, sleep wouldn't work this time. Sleep wouldn't be enough to tackle your sin and my sin. Jesus had to die. And it worked. And just the same as he brought Adam back up from the uh, anesthesiology or whatever it was, the deep sleep, the scripture says, when he did the surgery on Adam, he brought Jesus back to life again. He raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. He raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. He is so rich in mercy, rich and uh, loved us so much, and he had so much mercy. That he died for us, and God raised him from the dead. And here we have this wonderful, wonderful gift. And then he presents Jesus to the church as such. He presents him as this wonderful gift. Verse 8 of the second chapter of Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this gift. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. He presents Jesus to the church as a gift. You are 
a masterpiece. He created us anew. Now, if we are reading this and we're understanding that Jesus is our gift of salvation and what is said here is that we are God's masterpiece because he loved us so much and he gave us this new life, then we have to ask ourselves a question. Do we look at each other like masterpieces? And just look at your neighbor. They're a masterpiece. Uh, look to your left as well as your right. Masterpieces. Beautiful children made in God's image, every single one of us. Oh, but it's not always how we treat each other. Sometimes we don't even treat each other worthy of being called a okay gift, right? Sometimes we treat each other like the gift that's unwanted, or we are... Uh, don't even uh, we, we don't even appreciate the gifts that God gives us in our other people, our family members or our friends or our leaders or teachers or our children. It's all about presentation though. Remember the presentation. Well, how did God present Jesus to the disciples? We read the scripture, so we get to see all the details. And some of the other folks there in the time when Jesus lived on earth, they didn't catch it all. They weren't able to see it. But to those whom Jesus performed miracles to, whom he healed, the disciples, the people who were closest to them, to him, what? A presentation. I mean, first it begins with a virgin birth. Like, this doesn't happen ever. And here we have Jesus born in a way that doesn't work unless you're God and you're God's son. It, Jesus is perfect. He doesn't live with any sin. He doesn't stumble at all. He is tested. Yes, absolutely tested uh, a lot, but does not give in to temptation ever. And then his death, and as he died, the veil is torn. I love that part. When Jesus died, that veil that separates the people who um, could not go into the Holy of Holies, there was a veil there to separate them from where God uh, was supposedly dwelling. And when Jesus died... <coughs> It writ. No more barriers. You and I can have the same relationship with God, can walk with Him daily, just like anyone else can. What a presentation. Rip in half the barrier between <coughs> us and God. At that very time, an earthquake happened. And the tombs were opened up, and people were being raised from the dead, and they were walking and, and doing things. Presentation. And then we see in the first chapters of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, and he 
gives them uh, gifts that they can use for the church and the disciples there, the Christians there that were believing in Jesus, they were allowed to, they were given the gift of speaking languages to other folks so that the other folks could understand the word of God. Presentation. Eternal life. Man, sometimes sit down and read through Revelation. You need a good commentary to help you understand it all because it's a lot to take in. But the vivid imagery there, the uh, presentation of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back again, oh, we can't even imagine. It's going to be powerful goodness. God presents Eve to Adam. Here she is. And Adam says... Wow, this is great. At last, I have someone. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He accepted Eve. He accepted her and was excited about her. Do you accept your Savior? Do you accept Jesus? And are you excited about Him? Maybe when you were first saved, you said, at last, I don't have to worry about all the horrible things that I previously worried about. I give them over and I start, I start following Jesus and all that can be put behind me. At last, I am free all those chains. Do you accept the people around you? Do you accept your spouse? You can accept them and be excited about them. Masterpieces. I think three points that we can pull from this uh, second chapter of Genesis uh, to uh, summarize what application we can um, apply into our life here, we have, number one, uh, speaking uh, maybe first and foremost to the young women here, if you are looking for a man, find one who is ready to work, and not just to work, but to do God's will. Find a young man ready to work, ready to do God's will. You need a hard-working, godly man to take care of you, young women. And probably more importantly, women, there's a hard-working, godly man that needs you to take care of him. To help him out. To make sure that he doesn't burn down everything. Young men, <clears throat> there's a woman out there looking for godly men. So, I want to charge you with being that kind of a fellow. When God is speaking to you, you listen to him. You are paying attention to what he says and that you are working towards being in his image. Second point, uh, men, women are a gift to us. God gives us so many things in our life, and 
our wives are so special. Uh, they're masterpieces above all other masterpieces. Proverbs 18, verse 22, tells us that the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Treasure. Accept our treasures. Accept them and be excited about them every day. Men, if we were to uh, tell our wives uh, how much we value them because they are a wonderful treasure, a jewel, a wonderful masterpiece, I wonder how happier our marriages would be. We should try. I'll try. And thirdly, married folk, uh, your spouse is to be your most important human relationship. The most important human relationship you have. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. This is the very last part of this section in Genesis. It says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Joined and united. Are you united? Because, you know, we know what united means. It means uh, together, working towards a common goal, helping each other out, going through life as partners, doing uh, whatever it is that God needs you to do. United. Are you united? That may, the answer to that question may vary day to day. Uh, how do we be united? Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 gives us some good ideas on how to do that. It says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Boy, what if we focus on our wives or our husbands and we thought things about them that were honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. We fixed our thoughts on these things. Excellent and worthy of praise. I think our, our relationships would definitely benefit from that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 8, Tells us to always be humble and gentle. To be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's united, bound together by peace. Every relationship, by the way, every relationship that would keep us from being joined and united to both Jesus and our spouses must be broken. Now, I don't care whether that relationship, uh, the relationship that 
threatens your marriage, if that's a relationship with another person uh, down the road, or if that's a relationship with uh, golf, or if it's a relationship with uh, beer, or whatever it is that pulls you away from your spouse, it's got to go. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, 5 through 9, uh, gives us just some things that we should avoid, and I'm going to scan down through them with you. It says, have nothing to do with immorality, impurity, uh, lust, evil desires. Uh, don't be greedy uh, or an idolater. It says, get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language, and don't lie to each other. All things that we should keep ourselves in check and not have anything to do with them. The scripture says to get rid of them, put them to death. Too many people don't take marriage uh, serious enough. Tony Evans uh, says that uh, marriage these days is like a three-ring circus. First there is the engagement ring, next there is the wedding ring, and then there is the suffering. <laughs> One lady said that she got married because it seemed like a good idea, but it quickly turned in, it, it seemed like a good ideal, but then it quickly turned into an ordeal, and now she wants a new deal. <laughs> One man said that his wife and, and he were happy for 20 years. And then they met each other and got married. <laughs> Marriage is to enrich our lives, not to create suffering or create difficulty. It is to enrich our lives. Proverbs chapter 31, uh, verses 10 and 11 says, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife she is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. And then the rest of that scripture from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, says that we are to clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, making allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. more precious than anything else. Clothe ourselves with these things. Here's the point, folks. God could tell Adam, he could tell that Adam uh, couldn't do it on his own. So he made Eve. Then Adam, uh, you know, he had to have a wife to help him take care of things, but Adam didn't take care of his wife. 
He either wasn't there when he should have been, or he didn't stand up and protect Eve from the devil when the devil came to tempt death. So then, God sent his son to take care of it once and for all. Jesus did what Adam did not do. Jesus defeated the devil. Through the life-giving power of Jesus, we, you, me, we can have the freedom from sin and the freedom from the devil. Have you accepted the precious, perfect gift of Jesus? He died for you. Are you willing to live for him? Live. Live in whatever stage you're at in your life. Are you ready to live for Jesus? Whether you're single or married or a child. Are you ready to live for him? Because that's what Jesus came for. Is that we could have life. Well, we once, we once were dead. And there are folks out there that still live in the grave. But it doesn't have to hold us. Because we have Jesus. Father God, we are so grateful for the gift of salvation through our Lord and our Savior. We ask you to give us the constant wisdom to know how much the folks mean to us that are around us. And we ask that you would keep our eyes focused on what you're trying to teach us. And we know that the very, very important thing, the most crucial thing that you want us to know is that we are loved by you. And we put our faith in you. And we are saved. 